Our text this morning comes from Second Peter chapter two, verses one and two. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even evil spoken of. Since time began, there have been teachers, false teachers, who contradict the facts that God has revealed and give us their own personal opinions. As a matter of fact, Satan exhibited this very aspect in the Garden of Eden when he challenged Adam and Eve, has God said, and then saying, ye shall surely not. God said you would die. No, you will not die if you eat of the forbidden fruit. Well, he was wrong. (laughs) They did die. That day they died spiritually, and the need for a new birth for the cause of Christ then being necessary. According to the writers of the New Testament, there will continue to be false teachers, those who have their own self-willed opinions that they want to substitute for the truth that comes from the Word of God. Let's look at what Peter had to say in chapter 2, verse 1 then. Reading that again, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. This sentence begins, or verse begins, with the word but, which is a conjunction of contrast, having identified that the things that Peter was revealing to us were things that were revealed to him directly from God. Through the Spirit of God, he wrote what he had written in that first chapter identifying the basic principles that we are to utilize in our life, the mechanics, the things that we are to put into practice in our daily lives. And we identified seven that Peter listed for us, each one becoming more constraining than the other, and each one being dependent upon the one that preceded it. We have reviewed those seven basic mechanics or principles numerous times, and we'll continue to do that. We'll get around to it today, and we'll continue to do that throughout this series, hopeful that we will then put those things into practice in our lives. So he said, 
This is what God revealed to me. And now in this statement, he says, but on the other hand, in contrast to what I have said, there are those that will develop their own opinions. This is what God has revealed to me, Peter said, and we can summarize that in the expanded translation of verses 19, 20, and 21 in the first chapter, where Peter said, we keep on having a more steadfast prophetic word to which you keep on doing well by making it a principle to turn your attention to it as to a lamp continually shining in the sphere of darkness in a murky place until the day dawn shall appear and the day star shall arise in the sphere of your hearts until you develop these doctrines, these principles in your heart. He went on in verse 20 to say, making it a principle to continually be taking in knowledge gained through inquiry and understanding this first. Every prophecy from the source of Scripture is not to become something it was not originally of one's own interpretation. Because not through the instrumentality of desire of man was brought prophecy at any time, but by the agency of the Holy Spirit as a matter of principle, continuing to be brought, men spoke from God. And now he says, but on the other hand, this is what you are going to be exposed to. He says, but there were false prophets. Literally, he said, there were those who participated in becoming something that they were not. That is derived from the grammatical construction of that word in Ganato that identifies to become something that you were not previously. And the middle voice is used to show that this is not how God structured them and set them, but what they became with their own self-will. God gives us the unction or the call of the Spirit and the direction of His Word, and we are to follow that, not what we would, how we would rearrange it and determine that it ought to say. So these false prophets participated in becoming that that they were not, And that is false prophets. As long as there have been prophets, there have been false prophets that have appeared among them. Satan is identified as the great counterfeiter. And everything that God does, Satan attempts to counterfeit. He has his own ministers. He has his own word. He has his own ministry. And uh, he operates that upon the self-will of individuals that are under his influence rather than being submitted to what the Word of God actually says. Now, as Peter writes this, he makes note that we might miss, if we're not careful in observing it, that the prophecy that he has received and the prophecy that is being given there 
uh, in the Word of God is the only prophecy we should uh, apply or seek to uh, to make applicable in our lives because with the close of the book of Revelation, prophecy ended. You'll see that Peter moved from talking about false prophets that have been in the New Testament age now, he talks about false teachers. For I have no direct revelation from God, but as a minister of the gospel, I have the Word of God, and the gift was not given to me to know the future. The future as God wanted us to know it is revealed in His Word and was given to me the gift of teaching. And so Peter moves from false prophets to teachers. But regardless, we will still have those who claim to be prophets. As a matter of fact, even yesterday I received a text from a former member or a member of a former church where I pastored back in South Dakota. And she gave me the name of some woman and said, uh, she is, she claims to be a prophet and uh, I have a friend that listens to her all the time. What thoughts do you and many have about her? Well, I had never heard her name before. My wife's more astute to those things and she had heard of her. I said two thoughts come to mind. First, she could not pass the physical to be a prophet <laughs> because the Bible stipulates a woman is not to have that position of authority over a man. So she couldn't pass the physical. And secondly, all prophecy ceased with the closing of the book of Revelation and that gift is no longer active today. Peter understood then that prophecy is going to be confined to the Word of God. So he moves away from that prophetic thing to the teaching of the Word of God and to the same danger that faced prophets faces the teacher as well and maybe even a greater challenge uh, that the teacher ought not to insert his own opinion or his own self-will but simply become a teacher of that which has been revealed in the Word of God. So Peter says there were those who participated in becoming something they were not, false prophets. Also, among the people indeed, as there shall be false teachers. That indication of false teachers carries that same form of grammar that I mentioned earlier. It's in the middle voice. They participate in becoming that. Satan has an agenda and he has an enlistment program to enlist us in things that are contrary to the Word of God. We can participate with his enlistment or we can reject it and as the false prophets participated with him in becoming something that they were not. False teachers have that same pattern in becoming that which they participate in to become 
false teachers. He said, there shall be those participating as false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Who shall privately bring in, that word is better translated, they shall secretly bring in. And the word damnable from Apollos is utterly uh, utterly destructive. That which is utterly destructive shall be brought in by these false teachers. They're going to bring in utterly destructive heresies. The word heresies is really brought in from the Greek language that we, it's what we call transliteration when you just give the Greek word English spelling and pronunciation. It actually means self-willed opinions that are substituted for truth. So if you're guilty of heresy, you're guilty of developing your own self-willed opinions that are substituted for truth. He says, even then these false teachers, even denying, that word denying is translated from the original language, Arnu Manoi, and it means to make it a principle to resist. Peter's writing this, you may remember that point in Peter's life where he had denied the Lord Jesus. Not one time, but three times in one evening. He'd been swearing an oath that he did not know him. After he had made such a firm commitment that he would follow him to the death, Jesus said, before the night's over, you will deny me three times. And three specific incidents are recorded. So Peter understood the word denying when he said these false teachers will secretly bring in utterly destructive self-willed opinions that are substituted for truth, even making it a principle to resist the one, the Lord Himself. The word denying is better translated for us, making it a principle to resist. Peter's not the only one, however, that understood the word denying. You and I are familiar with it as well. It's the word that is used in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12, where Paul said, if we deny him, speaking of Christ, he will deny us. In that passage in 2 Timothy 2, beginning with verse 11 and going through verse 13, there are some if-condition clauses. If this, then this will be the result. Each one of those ifs is what we call a first-class condition, which means it's true. I was a little disjointed (laughs) the first time I explored this passage in the light of the conditional clause, if I expected that it said, if we deny him, he will deny us, that that's what we call the third class. Maybe we will, and maybe we won't. But that wasn't the case. This if is a first 
class condition. It ought to make you uncomfortable because it says, if we deny Him and we will, He will deny us. Now be careful and don't try to tie this in with salvation. Salvation is not dependent upon our behavior. Salvation is dependent upon the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the moment of faith that we receive Christ as our Savior, that moment of time is taken out of time and perpetuated forever. It's irrevocable. We are placed into Christ, immersed into union with Christ, and it's shown with the dot and the circle. The dot cannot get out. We eternally belong to Him. This word deny here that says we will relates to the rights that we have because of our relationship with Him. If and it's true that we deny Him, He will deny us. At some point in our life, we deny Him the rights. That's what the word deny here means. We deny Him the rights that are His because we have been bought by Him with a price. But we take our life and make our own decisions and do our own thing in direct opposition sometimes to the things that God has set forth for us. We deny Him that witness. We deny Him that uh, role in our life. And when we do, we will be denied the opportunity for reward. We will be denied at the judgment seat of Christ those opportunities for blessing will have passed and will not be awarded those things. That's the denial that we have in verse 12. You may offer up a request. We call it prayer. I call it writing a check because God has, through Christ Jesus, given us access to all the spiritual blessings of the heavens, and prayer is our checkbook. And sometimes we write one and it bounces. Not because there were not enough funds in, but because we have been cut off from those resources. The biblical example of that is the prodigal son. Remember the story of the prodigal son? How he said to his father, give me that portion of goods that rightly belongs to me. And then he left and went into a far country and wasted it in riotous living. And after it was all gone, there arose a famine in the land and he began to be hungry and destitute and no man would help him. And he came to a realization, in my father's house there's not a servant that doesn't have bread enough and to spare. I'm out here on the pigsty feeding the pigs and about ready to eat the the husk that I am giving to them. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. A son, realizing his condition and out of fellowship, decides he'll go back to his father's home and he will confess that he has sinned and he will ask to be made a servant. 
But what happened when he got back home? The father saw him when he was yet a great way off and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. A kiss is a sign of sonship. And then he called for a robe and he called for a ring and he called for shoes for his feet and he called for a festival of celebration. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and thy sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make, and it was at that point the father stopped him. Once a son, always a son. You cannot become a hired servant. You've been born again. A child of God, a son of God with all the rights and privileges. The ring restored all the access to the father's account as he gave it to the son. When we are out of fellowship and there is unconfessed sin in our lives, we cut off the resources that are otherwise available to us. And that's the statement that he will deny us if we deny him. No, the prodigal son was restored to the rights and privileges. He was always a son. He just didn't have access to those things because... He had denied the Father. He had denied His heritage and He'd gone somewhere else. And so, we will at times deny Him. And as a result, He will deny us the response to that. But it has nothing to do with salvation. Our salvation is not dependent, as I said, upon our actions upon our faithfulness, but it's dependent upon His faithfulness. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. A stronger word for denial, aparneomai, is used in reference to denying Christ's provision for salvation, which is to refuse to accept Christ. Security and salvation is not the issue in verse 12. It is the issue in verse 13. And I direct your attention to it. In verse 13 of Second Peter 2, Jesus said, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. If, well, maybe we will stop believing. No. It's a first class conditional clause. If and we will disbelieve. He abides faithful. Since you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, has there ever been a time when you began to question that? What if there is no God? Maybe there's no God. Maybe this is not true. According to the grammatic structure of that verse, every one of us at some time or other goes through that time of disbelief. Listen to what it says. He abides faithful even though we stop believing. I remember during the Vietnam War reading an article in the newspaper about a soldier who had uh, 
asks that his soul be confined to hell upon his death. He had been a Christian and an active uh, member of a church uh, in his youth. He was the president of of their youth group, had led others to receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But in college, he kind of took a different walk, and then he got aligned in the military with the satanic movement and decided he was going to be a disciple of Satan. So he wanted his soul consigned to hell upon his death. I don't know how genuine his early experience was, but I know by the Word of God that if he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation as a youth, he could do what he what he chose to do, and he could make all the consignment requests that he could make. There would be nothing that could take him, separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so... I'm quite confident that had that earlier stage been genuine that when he died, he woke up in paradise, not the lake of fire and brimstone. By the way, I think he's probably more rejoicing about that than his first request. We do become faithless. We do experience those times of question But because we have been placed in Him, if He were to deny us, He would have to deny Himself because we are in Him. That's what this passage says. If we believe not, and we will, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. We find then that there are going to be those false teachers, Peter says, that bring in their self-willed opinions and uh, they will deny the Lord that bought them. Interesting passage of Scripture. The word Lord is not translated from the normal Greek word that we have translated Lord in our English Bible. That would be kurios, kurios. It identifies the authority and deity by the word Lord. The word that is used here is different than that. The word that is used here is the word despotane. And we would do better to translate it master But we find that the word emphasizes lordship or being the master with absolute authority. With absolute ownership. These false prophets referred to in Peter's epistle deny the absolute ownership of the one that bought them. See, we might say, well, they're false prophets. They're They're false teachers. They'll burn in hell. No, not if they had accepted Christ as Savior. 
they are protected because they are in Christ, but they deny the absolute ownership of the one that bought them, Peter says. Having bought. The word is agorostata. It means having as a matter of principle purchased or bought them. There are four Greek words that are used in Scripture related to our being bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Agorostate means to make a purchase in the slave market. It's used in 1 Corinthians to identify, identify the fact that Jesus Christ has purchased us from the slave market of sin. <clears throat> we note that only a free man could make a purchase from the slave market. A slave, if he came upon the money, the common price of a slave at the time of Christ was 30 pieces of silver. So if he came upon 30 pieces of silver, as a slave he could not own the property. Whoever owned him owned the property, and so he could not purchase his own freedom. We are born spiritually dead. We are born in the slave market. We are born as slaves to sin. We cannot redeem ourselves. But because God loved us, He provided our redemption. So agorostate identifies the fact that we have been bought with a price, that Christ went to the slave market with the purchase price of His own blood and He ransomed our redemption. He bought us out of the slave market. The second word, that is used in the Greek text to identify this process is the word uh, lutrosatai. It means to set free by paying the ransom. So Agorostate tells us that he has bought us. Lutrosatai means he has set us free by paying the ransom. The third Greek word related to this is apolatrosis. Apolatrosis is a strengthened form of lutrosatai. It has the prefix apo with it, which means from, and it indicates that not only did he set us free by paying the ransom, but he paid it in such a way that we can never be enslaved again. Apart from our free will. You can choose to become a bond slave. But Satan can no longer enslave you because uh, the apolutrosis identifies he has redeemed us in such a way that our debt is paid past, present, and future. 
You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? You remember that the Samaritan bound up the man's wounds and put him on his own beast and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next morning as he had to go on his journey, he left with the innkeeper sufficient funds to take care of whatever needed to be taken care of for that man after he had left, after he was gone. And he said, if this isn't sufficient, then when I pass back through here again, I'll, I'll reimburse you. Past, present, and future, our Lord has provided for our deliverance. He went to the slave market, and not with 30 pieces of silver, but with his own blood, which 30 pieces of silver, by the way, is what Judas received for betraying Christ. He sold him out for the price of a common slave. But that's not what redeemed us. It was the blood of Christ that redeemed us. And we are redeemed in such a way that we have been set free. And in addition to that, we've been set free in such a way we can never be enslaved again. The power of the old sin nature has been broken. Not His presence, but our ability to resist and turn Temptation away is now ours through apolatrosis in the slave market. There's a fourth word that is used, and it's ex agorosthen. It's used in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, where it's translated redeemed. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So we have been redeemed. The purchase price has been paid. Our deliverance has been assured. And all cost for sin in our life has been paid so we can never be enslaved again. Let me quickly summarize the four words. Agorostate means to purchase in the slave market. Lutrosetai means to pay the ransom needed to set us free. Apolatrosis emphasizes the deliverance that is ours as a result of, pay, of payment. And ex agorosin says we can never be enslaved again. I know that takes away our comfort zone because there are no doubt times that we, well, I'm only human. <laughs> we excuse our behavior because we have an old sin nature. But that is taken away by our understanding of this passage, these passages in that we have been bought, we have been paid for, we have been given our freedom in such a way that we can never be enslaved again. The authority of the old nature has been taken away. And praise God, one day the presence of the old nature will be taken away when a moment in the twinkling of an eye we will be transformed to be like Christ. So Peter says, these false prophets and these false teachers that are coming are going to teach heresy, their own self-willed opinion, and they will deny the one who bought them and gave them their freedom. 
he said, and by doing so, they will bring, as a matter of principle, they will continue to bring upon themselves swiftly approaching destruction. And then in verse 2, Peter continues, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even evil spoken of. Many will follow out to the end their ways which are absent of moral restraint because of whom then the natural path of the truth will be evil spoken of. Those who teach false heresy doctrines that they have conceived in their own minds and of themselves will take us away from the morality that comes and the yieldingness of ourselves to the Holy Spirit so that we do not model the life that Christ set forth to be the Christian life. We've identified those seven basic principles. Peter has emphasized them repeatedly to identify with those principles being the pattern of our developing a divine nature. When we fail to do that, when we fail to develop those principles and to utilize them in our life, we misrepresent who we claim to be. Christ-like as Christians. We present a false concept of what Christianity is. I marveled in my early ministry that those who handled the Old Testament law could miss who Jesus really was. As a youth, I couldn't fathom how they could take the identification principles that are in the Old Testament and not see that Jesus fulfilled every one of them. And as I became a a better student of the Word of God to recognize that as well and in the language and in the graphics and in everything that is given to us concerning the law, how it magnified what the Messiah would look like and identified Him purposefully when He came and they missed it all. I've talked with three Jewish rabbis on a regular basis for a while when I was in Southern California working on my doctoral dissertation on the seven annual feast of Israel. I went to them to see, to get the Jewish feel of the feasts and what they did not have a clue. They thought it was simply historical ritual that they were involved in to remember historical event. They missed the prophecy that was in it. They missed the whole purpose of it. I began to question them, what's this word in the Hebrew mean? Well, it means, no, what's it mean? What's the root mean? Oh. Oh, and you think that's describing the Messiah that's going to come. Your five daily offerings. What were they? They had no clue. 
The Word is explicit in teaching us through the Old Testament to recognize the Messiah when He came, but they missed it because they got away from what the Word actually was teaching and got into the ritual of the offerings and the sacrifices and missed the whole thing. But before we're too critical of them, we need to see what's happened to the church in the 2,000 years that we have been here after the Messiah has come. The church is not structured today as it was designed to be structured in the New Testament. We have... I remember hearing saying when I was a kid, we have sermonettes preached by preacherettes to Christianettes so they can hurry out and smoke their cigarettes. Well, we may have moved a little ways from the cigarettes, but we haven't moved very far from the Christianettes and the preacherettes and that aspect. It is a way of life. Not just a profession of faith in Christ. That's salvation. The Christian way of life is identified for us in the teaching of the Word of God. But people will not sit for that teaching. Except you, of course. Will you go away too? (laughs) Jesus asked the disciples. The church was designed to be a seminary. It was designed to teach us the Word of God, the will of God, the plan of God, and for us to live that out then in our daily lives. These seven principles are the ones that Peter singles out and that is our focus at the present time. So that passage that is our text today should read this way, but there were those who participated in becoming false prophets also among the people. Indeed, as there shall be those participating as false teachers among you, who shall secretly bring in utterly destructive self-willed opinions that are substituted for truth, even making it a principle to resist the absolute ownership of the one who, having as a matter of principle, bought them, as a matter of principle, then bringing upon themselves swiftly approaching utter destruction. And many will follow out to the end their absent of moral restraint because of whom the natural path of truth will be evil spoken of. Christianity gets a bad rap. It gets a bad rap because of bad Christians. <laughs> We do not present the biblical approach of Christianity as it is laid out for us in the epistles and the doctrine that are set forth. And uh, we find that there is little respect in our world today. I've seen that change so dramatically just in my 85 years upon the earth. There was a time when in the community, the community looked to the church for direction. The church established the morality 
of the nation. The church established the general philosophy of the nation. But now the church has been rejected because the church has not practiced and lived out its design as it's set forth here. I know I need to preach this to others, not to those of you who are adhering. You take it. You preach it. We begin it by living it. So just as there were false prophets in the previous age, there will be false teachers in the church age. These false prophets and teachers have substituted utterly destructive self-willed opinions in place of truth. Both false prophets and false teachers are participants in a greater conspiracy. And the use of the middle voice here shows they are just participants. They are participating with Satan and his agenda. Fourthly, these false teachers resist the absolute ownership of the one who has bought them. The fifth note is that resistance results in their moving swiftly to utter destruction. Sixth, many people will follow these false teachers to the end in their lack of moral restraint. And seventh, if we follow these false teachers and don't develop a divine nature, the natural path, the true way, will be spoken of in an evil way. I was being considered to be the pastor of a church. The interim pastor said, I don't want you in that position. I've worked hard to change the church and to bring it where it is today. If you become the pastor of that church, you will take it back to the old way. And I said, Amen. May God have all the glory. Yeah. Because Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the waves and sea, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. We need to develop these seven basic principles. They're not the sum in total. They're a composite that gives us a general overview of the maturity, of developing maturity in our life as believers. That in the sphere of our faith in Christ and upon the promises that are given to His Word, we need to develop a morality that will give credibility to our lifestyle. That way of life is only developed as we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's control of your life is totally dependent upon your choice each day. Within that morality, we are to develop a process of study of the Word of God. Not sermonettes for Christianettes, but a study of the Word of God. We are to develop a self-controlled 
will. And within that self-control will, we are to develop a contentment regardless of our circumstances. Get out of the bathtub and you start to the bed and your wife says there's a flood downstairs. The toilet's overflowed, the tub's overflowed, you've got to go down there and take care of that. And the sewer line's plugged and septic tank is maybe full. Contentment. I don't need your support. (laughs) If we disbelieve, and we will, (laughs) he abides faithful. For those of you who didn't see my wife shaking her head, no, I didn't have contentment at that time. <laughs> In that contentment, see, is dependent upon our self-control will, which is dependent upon our knowledge of the Word of God which is dependent upon our being controlled by the Spirit of God, which is dependent upon our faith and the promises of God. So we move progressively to a closer relationship of identification that says this is what a Christian is. In that contentment, regardless of whatever the circumstances might be, we are able to develop a consistency of duty to God that is characterized by our pleasing Him. And within that consistency of duty that's characterized by pleasing Him, we are to develop brotherly love. A responsive love, a love that's dependent upon the response and motivated by response. But within that love, we are to develop a self-sacrificial love, a love that keeps on giving regardless of the response of the one loved. Peter gives us a glimpse into that divine nature of which he had been an eyewitness on the Mount of Transfiguration as he saw in the body of Jesus, the deity of Jesus exhibited on the mountain with his radiance, his his appearance changed, and there was a glow about him as the deity became visible. Others need to be able to test that we've been with Jesus. Not by a radiant glow, but by our behavior, by our attitude as we go about. Peter informed us that as long as he was living in his temporary body, he was going to teach these principles. And he warned about the danger of our privatizing Scripture and interpreting it to fit our need, our desire, instead of what it actually says. And now we're warned about the teaching of the Word. We're to test the Word by the Word. So I ask you this morning, are you making it, don't, don't need a show of hands, but are you making any progress in the development of these seven basic 
principles, do they come to mind during the week? Are you sensitive to them and attempting to develop them so that the bad eye that is given to Christianity, at least in your environment, takes on a different structure and people understand what it's all about. So are you making progress in developing these? But of course, it all begins at salvation. Without the new birth, without a human spirit, without being born from above, you don't have a capacity for these. The other side of the coin is because of the new birth, you do have a capacity for them. But it's a progressive thing and we have to work at it We have to be mindful of it. We have to meditate upon these things and then make the application. But it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you've got these principles in operation, you'll have the same carefree attitude that Agnes has. And find contentment regardless of the circumstances. So when we have called upon the name of the Lord, then we need to become transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So prove all things, search for the old paths, and then walk in them.